In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Always look on the light side of life. If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten. And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing. When you're feeling in the dumps, don't be silly chumps. Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing. And always look on the bright side of life. Good morning, Cleveland. This is a guest that's been on the cards ever since day one of the podcast. I'm joined by writer from Over the Cap, the author of the fantastic book, Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions, that if you've listened to my Cap show at any point, then you've heard me banging on about it. Um, And I would also say if a mad owner in the NFL made me a GM, this would be the first person I call to bring on staff and just sort of give me direction in what I'm doing. It's Zach Moore. Zach, how are you? I'm awesome, and thank you for that introduction. It's great to be here. It's great to finally talk to you in person. Well, over the phone, uh, with your face in front of me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I appreciate all the support on the book, and uh, I'm glad the podcast is going awesome for you. No, it's, uh, it's a book that by the end of this podcast, you'll be going out and buying it. But if, if you're listening to it and you've got some spare finger bashing going on, just flick over and make sure you go out and buy it. It is an awesome book. So, Caponomics was all, all about balancing the salary cap and building a team. So, did Sashi Brown's strategy work? All right. So, from like, did this, did the thing make, did it, the strategy make sense? And, and from that perspective, it completely made sense. The execution was a, was a bit uh, subpar with Hugh Jackson there and with Sashi's talent evaluation. But from a, from a cap-building approach, they had 33 draft picks over the last three seasons since, uh, since the new transition to this analytics-based Browns organization. And what ended up happening with that was they were able to stockpile value, whether that was just in terms of um, the players they were able to acquire or in terms of the cap space they were able to maintain because of how many rookie contracts players they had. Um, and, he, and they didn't go out and spend a lot of money. Uh, they didn't draft a quarterback first in that first draft, which we'll get to in a second in your next few questions. Um, we didn't, they didn't, so they, they built this entire team around, and now they've been able to place their franchise quarterback into a situation where they're able to be competitive, and now they're going to be able to take advantage of his rookie contract over the next, uh, now after this year, three more seasons, um, which is a huge uh, cap value in terms of Baker Mayfield being about 3 4% of the salary cap. So – Everything's worked out for them, and, and they're primed to make a, a huge jump over the next few years, which, which is an incredible place to be as a Browns fan for you guys. It, it should probably be in the question I've done first. For anyone that doesn't know, what is Caponomics? Just All right, so Caponomics was just my sort of um, – well, the book itself is, is I'm trying to give everyone sort of the principles and base of understanding for how to look at the salary cap. Um, what kind of production are you trying to get out of uh, players if you pay them X amount of dollars? Um, what kind of uh, – how, how are you going to build your roster? Uh, what are you looking for? What's the objective of the sport? And then how do you spend your money to maximize your value 
Uh, and then also one of the main principles I've seen in football is how are you going to maximize your value and versatility? And there's various ways of maximizing versatility. There's a way Andy Reid does it with his versatility and the way he has multiple different mismatches on offense and the way certain defenses are, are constructed so they can cover a variety of different mismatches on offense, which is why safety has become such a valuable position because you got guys who can cover and why there's now dimes, uh, nickel safeties and why you're, uh, because these safeties can cover running backs, tight ends, slot receivers. So a lot of the, main principle of versatility. And then there's also something like the St. Louis, uh, St. Louis, the LA Rams. Um, they only run 11 personnel, like almost every single play, but that personnel is so versatile that for them, because they have three very good receivers, it creates a situation where um, Todd Gurley has gone, is going against um, six man boxes more so than any running back in the league by a lot. So the versatility is, is also just, about this main principle of creating mismatches as well. So the book kind of takes these objectives and sort of contorts them into understanding the salary cap. Uh, and, and I, I just, that's what the whole book's about. <laughs> I, I don't really liked it because it came from an angle of, it wasn't just the theory side of it. It was all matched to real life evidence based on teams that have won the Super Bowl and how they did it. So it, it went beyond the theory of, this is why you do it. It went, look, here's how it's done. Here's why that yes. was successful. And, it, and there was times when you went, this team won a Super Bowl, but they didn't do the most sensible thing. And it, it was a really good book that took you through the cap and how to, how to maximise the value. Yeah, thank you. So, um, what do you think a finished Sashi Brown plan would have looked like? And would it have ever ended? Because, obviously, you can trade back forever if you want. I think it would have looked like what we're about to see, which is um, now they're going to use the cap to build up the places they didn't draft well because they, because of the, so I guess this is where we can start to get into the, the, the draft choice of um, waiting on a quarterback, despite all the talk about how they should have drafted Wentz, Watson or Mahomes. Um, it was the right decision to do it this way because trading those picks helped them stockpile picks. And now they'll have the benefit of Mayfield. And, and they got those – they have – they're going to end up having 15 players potentially at the end of this with Mayfield, which I asked a poll, um, which I think was answered by a lot of Browns fans, was would you rather have Carson Wentz or 15 players and Mayfield? And the 15 players is also that, that cap issue we're talking about. And, and 92% of people said, yeah, we'd rather have the Mayfield and the 15 guys. So what ends up happening there is that now they've got like $87 million worth of cap space to do whatever they want with it. And they have a nice young core. I mean, I've got – I was going through the roster, and you're looking at these young, the young core of this team. It's made up of – and especially really well done at the, the pass game positions, which is what we call them, of quarterback, cornerback, defensive end. Uh, we're we're going to have – we'll talk about the tackles later, and we'll talk about the wide receiver room as well. But, you know, you got Mayfield. you got Denzel Ward. you got Miles Garrett. At wide receiver, you went out and you spent money on Landry. You have Callaway, who seems like someone – yeah, right. I mean, Landry's been – but when you have that much cap space, you're able to make a mistake like this, which is part of this um, – they, they basically hedge their bets. Like, even, like, without with, – with all the draft picks and how that all worked out, they've created a scenario where they were able to make mistakes and, and still – they're still in this good position. But, you know, at safety, you've got Demarius Randall, who you're going to be able to assign to an extension. Peppers, uh, Joe Schobert. Uh, the offensive line is fairly, fairly 
good in the interior with Vittonio, Treader, and Zietler. Running back, you got Chubb and Johnson, and tight end, you got Njoku. So you've got this core that now you're able to build around. And, and that's one of the main things I talk about in Cap- Caponomics is that you want to make sure the core of your roster is solid, and then you go out for supplementary pieces and free agency. So they've kind of um, gone about doing this. And this is, this is probably what the plan was all along. I mean, it's, it's exactly what the Houston Astros did in baseball. They were terrible for a few years, and now they're in a position where they're going to compete but seemingly on a yearly basis for this, for this window they have right now. Now they, they're going to have to figure out how to sustain it past that. But the Browns are about to enter a similar window in football. Um, and, it, 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 and like we were saying before we got on here, um, to me it, it, it seemed completely sensible the entire time. I know some people are mad about going 1-31, but you don't get Miles Garrett and you don't get Baker Mayfield if you're not drafting one, one overall, and they might be the best combo at DN quarterback in, in the league uh, in terms of a rookie deal, deal combo. Uh, it's, uh, it's that interesting perspective. And when, when I look at salary cap, I, I see there's two, there's two things you want to spend that on. It's re-signing the good players you pick, and then free agency is fulfilling them holes when you draft a player, and they just don't work out because they, yeah. there's no guaranteed thing in the draft. Probably bar Quinton Nelson was the only pick in the last yeah. draft that everyone went, this is the only player we know of in the entire draft that was not going to bust. And you're going to make mistakes. So when that mistake's there, that's when you go out and go, oh, we're going to grab this tier two, tier three player in free agency just to fill a gap. If you're ever going out there chasing the top three agents, you're doing it wrong. Yes. Yes. And, and they, they got a lot of room to, to fill those gaps. And like with Landry, they have the potential to go out and sign someone who ends up not working out and it not being the end of the world. Whereas if they did things another way, and, and as a Browns fan, you've seen them try to do things these other ways. They've drafted quarterbacks to bad teams. And it, it does, this is an entirely different structure of trying to turn the organization around. And it's, and it's, it's based in a principled perspective. So it, the, the future is very bright. So um, the things that, from a cap perspective, Sashi did really well. What are sort of the key highlights? The first one's obviously stockpiling the picks um, because it, we haven't said this, but there, uh, I think you, you mentioned it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the percentage, the only way to be successful in the draft for sure is to have a lot of picks. And they should have done more with the picks they had, but they wouldn't have the picks they have if they didn't have all the picks. Um, so, you know, so, so it's like, yeah, it worked, it, it, both those things work together. And, um, and then a really key point was that they didn't use salary cap to chase like a six and 10 season. They, they got rid of veterans who weren't going to be a part of the future. Um, and they just, they just created a, a young, talented roster and, um, it's put them in this position where now that young, talented roster is going to come of age and they're in a position where they can extend everyone they want to extend prior to them hitting free agency and offer them deals that are close enough to what they would get on free agency, but not too much that, uh, you know, I mean, still, still get a discount by not letting them go to free agency or not going to free agency pieces because the guys who are on free agency are not retained by their own team for, for a reason. Um, and you'd rather keep your own guys. So, Sashi wasn't perfect. Um, however much I'd love to paint him as during these, uh, for RIP Sashi shows. Um, what, what would you say is sort of the big mistakes he made or the mistakes? Um, 
we got it. We got it going on on Twitter the other day about um, the trade that brought Brock, Brock Osweiler in. The end result is actually something that's that's really solid, and it might be something that they thought about from an analytics perspective. In that, um, where do I got this? I got this right here. Um, is that it was a sixteen million dollar dead money cap hit. So they got a second round pick out of it. We call the fourth and sixth round picks that were exchanged a wash. And they basically are. Both players drafted haven't really done anything. But that second round pick in, in sort of uh, not – I guess in maybe you would call it in real, real cap value, the second round pick that became Nick Chubb ends up being someone who's uh, – when you, when you pair his uh, – I think he was drafted number 35. When you pair that draft slot, the contract he got there with – you prorate out that 16 million, so 4 million in each year, you get like 5.85 million per year in terms of what Nick Chubb's real cost is. And in terms of the player that we've seen since he's taken over, he's going to be worth that. So the end result works, but in terms of the tactical and strategic perspective, um, there's a lot to you know question there. I mean, Osweiler, there's 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 also the perspective that maybe he would have worked out. He hasn't looked horrible in Miami this year. Maybe he would have been like an okay uh, an okay um, like single year buy because I think the next year he had no dead money because they were just buying his guaranteed money, which was in that current year. Uh, there was no uh, prorated signing bonus. So from that perspective, um, you know, I, I just just putting putting myself in their shoes. Um, could Osweiler have worked out? Maybe, but, but on paper, it's probably one of the bigger, like, things that, that just created a negative narrative on Sashi, uh, Sashi as well. Um, so that's one. And then the second one is, although they had the cap space to do it, uh, from just, just from that perspective, they overpaid for a lot of lesser talent, uh, like Jamie Collins. Um, you know, that was someone who, who had a good, good start to his career with New England, but was already seeming to trend trend down, um, and then you know just 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 that those those two really were the were the big probably mistakes he made that that just stuck out to me. I think the one thing with the Osweiler um, one was I think they had to make sure they spent a little bit more money because of the uh, you've obviously got a a ceiling of how much money you have to spend. Right. So I think they were under that, and it was a move that sort of. Allowed that money transfer over, and as well, they still have time though. I'm not a running but, back, but you're um, right, fan. Um, obviously, if uh, it had been a sort of defensive end like Harold Landry, a wide receiver like Cortland right. Sutton, I'd have been a lot more happy with it. Right, agree, agree. I mean, Cortland Sutton, imagine what he would look. What this roster, even though Nick Chubb's worked out, uh, imagine what the roster would look like from a value perspective if Cortland Sutton was on the roster because you can all, I mean, you can go out and draft a running back again this year. I mean, you could draft a few of them in the middle rounds and, and figure out a solution there. Um, so, so I am kind of, um, cause I, I'm in your camp, but I'm kind of um, looking at the running back perspective as what we've now seen with Todd Gurley is that really the only way to secure your running back position is through the draft. So, there's part of me now that's analyzing um, teams drafting running backs early, like first round or even number 35 overall. And they, they have a low cost early on. And then the only way to really keep a running back is to extend them. You're not going to find them on free agency. Even in the case of Le'Veon Bell, we don't really 
know what, what that's going to look like in three years when he's 30. Um, so, so it's, it's a risky position to go to free agency for. So, um, I'm in, again, I'm in your camp, but I also, am like questioning, uh, why teams are doing this because maybe, maybe they're onto something because Elliot's working out, uh, Fournette's not working out, but you know, you got Elliot, uh, Gurley, Barkley is obviously fantastic, but the, the, the Giants need to do something else because Eli Manning is obviously not, you know, the player that he may have been, you know, a decade ago or something, you know? The, the, the best quarterback on that roster is OBJ at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Um, I understand what you say when you mean value. And obviously it's the difference in value of what you pay a rookie to the level they're performing at if you replace it. Can you cover a, a little bit more of that and sort of explain? All right, so, all right. like um, rookie contract quarterbacks. Why are they so valuable? Because, I mean, you look at across the league, league-wide, um, I think it's partially a systematic change. I think a lot of um, offensive systems now are operating at such a high level in terms of the strategic and, and the rule changes, the ability of teams to um, – wide receivers to get off the line without really being touched and, and, and you know, and, and just kind of heaving the ball up downfield and getting a pass interference if – if the cornerback does anything. So there's a lot of production and that, and there's a lot of just passing production in terms of completion percentage, uh, yards per game. Uh, all of it is, is increasing. Um, so what's going on right now in the league is you look around, who are some of the best teams in the league? Uh, you had the Eagles win the Super Bowl last year doing it. You have the Rams, the Chiefs, the Texans are doing great. Um, and this, and the Bears look, have, have done, have, have done a great job and have moved forward again with an Andy Reid disciple underneath them. You know, it's the West Coast offense is part of this. It's, it's that Bill Walsh system that is now, it's all across the league. Um, so it's why these guys are more efficient. So you're getting these quarterbacks on three, and even in, in, in Mahomes and uh, Watson's case, and the, the Ravens, they have Lamar Jackson at 1% of the cap now. So this team is, Lamar Jackson might not be the passer that um, Mahomes is, but they're going to be able to create a strategy around him where they have now 98% of the salary cap or 99% of the salary cap to spend on the rest of their roster around him. So what's going on is that you're getting similar production out of someone who costs three, you know, one to 4% of the salary cap, but the quarterback market can be as high as 16% of the cap salary cap with the Matt Ryans, the Aaron Rodgers, and which is creating a scenario where, you know, you can't build the same roster around them that you can build around this young quarterback who's now able to produce at a similar level. So it's, it's an extremely valuable thing that the Browns have done now with Garrett um, Mayfield and Ward. And then, you know, you add in guys like Peppers and all these first round talents that, you know, you're saving in terms of their veteran costs versus their rookie contract costs, what it would cost to get that same performance out of a veteran, you know, you're saving yourself, 20 30 percent in cap value which is which is amazing which is a, a huge um opportunity so um our, our first question that came in um because we reached out for some questions was from surviving the season at sts podcast they're absolutely fantastic uh, make sure you go and listen to them what's the better deal a fourth rounder for a 16 million dollar contract a second um 
a second rounder and a sixth rounder or a third round pick for a 16 million QB who only plays two and a half games. So I think it's basically the question of was the Tyrod Taylor trade or the Brock Osweiler trade better? And that was, that was a really good question because um, it really made me think about uh, what, what, what the team's looking for in both scenarios. Um, and the Osweiler is like, they're both bridge quarterbacks. But something that made me feel like the, um, the trade for Taylor was better was because he had more potential if he had better coaching. That was something that someone had mentioned. And I was like, yeah, I mean, he doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, he can move, he can run. And, and you just saw him take a team to the playoffs um, as the starting quarterback for a whole season. So you can kind of envision the strategy you can uh, use to at least give yourself a huge step forward as an organization. And then the big kicker to make this deal a better deal would be if they were able to keep Taylor on as a backup because he's really the perfect system backup to Mayfield. Um, but, you know, alternatively speaking, Osweiler hasn't looked horrendous in Miami, and you did get Nick Chubb out of it. So it's a difficult question to answer. But if I had, if I had to pick one, I would the, – the Taylor scenario from the start was, was the better-looking better trade from, from that standpoint. Yeah, I think for me, from the aspect, it just comes to we gave up a third and we gained a second. And that if I'm looking at the players, yeah, I'd rather have Taylor over Osweiler. I think it's just from the value perspective of lose a third round pick or gain a second. Yeah. I'm going to lean towards that because I never really valued either of them. Um, for me, I would have loved, and I've said it before, Teddy Bridgewater. And then Mayfield right. up, you trade him weight and you gain a third round pick out of it. Right, right, and the Bridgewater, Bridgewater only signed for like six million. So uh, when you look at it from that perspective, the Taylor, the Taylor trade has another variable that says to you, this is this is a worse trade than you know. There's another variable that says this trade didn't 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 turn out wasn't wasn't the best you could have done. Um, and then you still have a third round pick, and then maybe you use that second round pick on Cortland Sutton and use that third round pick on a running back. But uh, I think I looked at it last – I, I mean, I, I know I looked at it last week, and, and I think that there really wasn't any running back talent after the second round this year in terms of production. But you'd still, you had Carlos Hyde, who was, who was doing all right. I like Ito Smith, who went in the fourth round. He's not at the level Chubb's at. And I honestly think by right. the end of the four-year contract, we're going to talk about Chubb and Saquon Barkley as similar players. Um, I don't yeah. think much separation there. I think the only concern with Chubb was he had that gruesome injury in, could he ever fully recover? Yeah. If he gets there, he's going to be a worldie. Yeah, I mean, he's I mean, he's already he's averaged like ninety eight yards a game since he took over the in terms of rushing just only since he took over the job. Um, you know, that's a pace that's like uh, over thirteen hundred yards. Like that's like thirteen uh, thirteen fifty or something, something around there. So, um, the what am I talking about? That's oh, that's almost sixteen hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. That's almost sixteen hundred. A hundred times sixteen. Yeah, it's almost sixteen hundred. <laughs> Fake news, man. My bad. <laughs> so the importance of how Paul Brown transformed the game with ties to Bill Walsh all the way to the game today. So this is something um, I'm touching on in a. I've been writing a book proposal the last few months, uh, talking to some publishers regarding uh, a book that will talk about the transformation from. Um, the game that it started as, which was basically a rugby-based sport, the game that it is today, and then on into the, 
future based on some of the, the things that we've learned from the past and the principles that teams build off of and uh, off of the objectives of the sport um, and looking into the future. So um, what Brown did, and it's something that, that's going on now today through the Eagles and what the Browns are trying to do, is that he changed the game from a physical exercise to an intellectual exercise. I mean, the sport at its founding was we we're going to overpower you. Um, the sport now is we we're going to have better players than you. We're going to overpower you on the line. We're going to play more physical than you in certain aspects. But we're also going to we're going to find ways to just really quite uh, kind of an overarching theme is we're trying to find ways to have more players against less of your players. Like whether it's a run pass option, uh, taking a defensive end out of the play or, or um, you know, route concepts that have um, two defensive players in a zone and three guys spread out evenly where they can't defend them. Um, so the game had, it became more of a sport for intellectuals at that point. And then Bill Walsh took it further when he created the West Coast offense out of necessity when uh, the, the big armed Greg, first round draft pick Greg Cook for the Bengals went down uh, with a rotator cuff injury at a time when they couldn't fix those. Um, and then he went out and got Virgil Carter. So he ended up creating a system for a mobile, accurate, intelligent quarterback, which is now what the whole league's based off of, which are skills that you can find, especially in today's zone read uh, ba uh, based college game. You're finding these players that if you can teach them and you can integrate some of their zone read concepts and you can use their mobility, you can use their accuracy and intelligence. Um, you know, the, ga the game has become way more intellectual. I mean, Sean McVay and what these guys are doing today is, is, is not just brute force. It's an intellectual sport. And Brown had innovations like putting coaches in the coaching bo coaches box to get a better understanding of what happened on the field. He was the first to make a playbook and have players study it. Uh, used film to study his team and opponents, created the quarterback headset. Well, this goes on. I mean, he even created the face mask after a facial injury to, I believe it was Otto Graham. Um, so uh, uh, Collinsworth called him the Bill Gates of his time. Belichick called him the father of professional football. And Sam Weich said football was a black and white kind of game and there was no color until Paul Brown. So it's only, it's kind of only right that the Browns have now taken the most, or at least try to take uh, a sort of mo the most, intellectual um, process that they can, they can sort of create to um, yeah, that they can come up with to, to do what they're doing right now. Yeah. It was, to, it was, to bring them, to, keep going. You can go. Something like it was change the right guard every single play. And then they oh, used really? to in plays. Um, so how we would, uh, because before that it was like the defense called their own plays. So it's sub the right guard. I think it was every single play to send in the call of what you wanted the players to do. It's just right. You, you couldn't imagine like NFL today, if the coaches on the sideline couldn't call the defense, could you imagine just the middle linebacker in charge of the whole defense and every single play call it just be. Yeah. 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 There's, there's no, there's no input from the guy who should be spending all of his time on the intellectual side of it. And you're having the guy who should be spending all of his time on what, learning whatever you told him and making sure he's prepared. He's not supposed to be your, your, uh, your, your, your head, you know, your, your head coach out there, you know, your coordinator out there. So here's a question I'll put in. It's what I always argue when people are saying, oh, but stockpiling draft picks doesn't work. What would a team look like if you had three first round picks, two second round picks, 
three third round picks and a fourth, fifth and sixth and seventh pick every year over four years. And I just want to pull out some stats that I uh, worked out from your book on... Um, so I'd say over a four-year window, you get 24 starters. And this is looking at players um, drafted from 2010 to 2015 from your 44 picks. And that's not including any rotation backup players or players on a fifth-year option. So that's a lot of talent in there. And then obviously you, get yeah. the you don't keep it all. You trade some off. You do some other bits with it. But uh, what would that team look like if every single year you just added more and more and more picks what would you do with it? What you've basically set up with what you what you just said, uh, when you mentioned as well with the trading off, is you set up a scenario where um, not only do you have uh, the the starters, but then you just keep trading into the future, and you and even if they're like Corey Coleman type trades, um, or uh, who was the left tackle y'all traded to the Forty Niners? Cam. Um, Cam Robinson? No, no, no. Come it was um, Sean Coleman. Yeah, yeah, another Coleman. Right, right. Sean Coleman and Cody Kessler. Even if you're only getting seventh round picks, those are picks that you can use in the future to move up, because everyone still uses the you know the the draft uh, the draft board, and you can you know you might be able to move up from the number sixtieth pick to the number forty seven pick because you threw in a seventh round pick, and now you're able to get the guy you wanted at forty seven before this team that would might have drafted and takes them um so from what you're saying um you got to use those first round picks on the pass game positions first um and what i would do similar to what the browns did which was use those picks on receivers defensive ends um left tackle right tackle defensive tackle i would i would make sure i had a stud at you know dn d tackle but then and then safety and cornerback you know we had the cornerback pick as well uh, but then the, the the third and fourth round are a great spot to stockpile defensive linemen. It, you'll see in Caponomics that there's like a a 37% success rate on third round picks in the D line, which is very high for the third round in terms of turning players into starters. Uh, and then there, for some reason, there's a 47% success rate on the fourth round drafting defensive linemen. Um, so in both of those scenarios, um, um, you know, you, you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to be able to stockpile some D linemen there. Um, I'd find interior linemen in the fifth and sixth round. I'd take some bets on later round picks as well. Um, you know, find some guys who maybe dropped because they were injured or because a new coach came in. And this is what some of the great organizations do. They find the guys who are injured and drop from the first round prospect to a sixth round prospect and say, I mean, at worst, we might get a special teamer out of him. Um, you know, so – but then you draft that quarterback a few years into this process so that now you have a team around him uh, and he's not, you know, auditioning for the next concussion movie every time he drops back, which is what the quarterbacks for the Browns were doing the last two years. They were getting sacked like 56 and like 54 times. So it's like, there's, there's no, there's no, there's really no benefit to putting a young quarterback in that situation because it's also not going to, you're not going to, like you said, uh, have the opportunity to take advantage of his uh, rookie contract. Yeah, and just by trading back and adding them first-round picks of three every year, if you say say you re-sign all of them players and give them four years, over an eight-year period, that's um, eight, 16, 20, 24 first-round picks on the team. Could you imagine yeah. how nuts that would be and how much talent there is going to be on that team? 
Yeah, if you re-sign those guys, right, 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 and you keep having that situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like I said, I, I don't, I don't know um, why people were kind of poo-pooing what the Browns were trying to do because it was, uh, it, you know, they obviously didn't have what what you just asked, but um, you know, they if they just if they just drafted better. But then again, if they everything works out because then you if you drafted better, you don't get Garrett and you don't get Mayfield. So uh, you know, it it was the least risky proposition uh for what they were trying to do yeah so next question how does sashi uh, how does dorsey use the space sashi built moving forward um and it kind of it ties into sort of the next question as well with dorsey's caps problems in kansas um should we worry in cleveland so i wouldn't be too worried right now uh maybe down the line because he did go out and he would sign a jeremy macklin to a, a huge deal um, Justin Houston had a big contract as well, but that was, you know, okay. He's, 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 he's your top DN. Um, but there's really not, uh, in terms of solidify, it's just really solidifying the places you haven't drafted well. And they have the cap space to be allowed to, to do that without really worrying about the salary cap. Like if, if, if Dorsey screws up the salary cap in Cleveland, there's really like, he's really done something wrong, like in a, in a, in a major way. And I, and I don't, I almost don't think that's possible. I don't think there's a way that you can screw up that cap situation at this point. And, and just re- re-sign a lot of your guys, Demarius Randall. Re-sign them early and, and use that cap space to Joe Schobert. Um, you know, re-sign guys as soon as possible and get as much of that money into, before, into this current CBA because uh, I – I guess the money would transfer over, but you know, we got the 89% rule. Just, just get it, uh, you know, get, get it, use it early. Like the, like the 49ers did with Garoppolo. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not, I don't think they've guaranteed it yet. Um, the next CBA you'll be able to transfer over. I guess they will, but Hey, right. Them, uh, things you just never know. Right. That's the question I'm not sure about the answer to. So uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't thought about that yet either. Uh, I should, I should look into that. So we had a question from Dog Pound Island on Twitter. Um, it was basically about, um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the wide receiver room. We've got quite a bit of space. Should, we, uh, should the Browns be making a big move there? And there was questions about what we do on the O-line, um, Robinson, Corbett. Um, if Hubbard doesn't work out, can we move on? Sort of just wide receiver and uh, O-line, what should the Browns be doing next? I would probably keep Hubbard. Uh, what do you what do you think about Corbett? Um, I mean, he hasn't done anything yet, right? He, was, not, he hasn't even played, right? It was an infuriating move for me because even though he might be a solid guard, center, wherever he's going to play, if, to use a second round pick on a position where we're arguably got the top three interior O line in the NFL, and right. bigger needs there. Um, I thought you can just get someone serviceable and then deal with it down the line. Um, but hey, what, what tackles were left? Because tackles what they need. So you know you have a number. What was he? The number thirty-six or number thirty-four pick? So what tackles were left at that point? Wasn't Connor Williams or I mean some someone else? I think everyone had more or less gone. There was just lots of left guards that he was one of them left guards that people were going. He might be able to play left tackle. Um, I think Isaiah Wynn was another. Um, no, Isaiah Wynn. I think had just gone. Um, he was gone. It was that there's an outside chance that he can move, but he's probably going to be a left uh, guard. And for me, it was like, 
there's no left tackles on the board. So just move on. What else is there? It felt a bit like the yeah. Colton Miller pick for the Raiders of going, we're going to take a left tackle. Um, oh no, Mike McGlinch is gone. Let's just take the next one, even though it's far too early. Um, it looked like just draft in position rather than need or value. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, so looking at those two, those two positions are probably my biggest concern um, because now you got that rookie contract quarterback. Um, let's surround him with an – we see the blueprint, the Eagles, and uh, I mean the defensive line seems pretty, pretty, pretty well set. Uh, there are some, certain things you can definitely do in free agency this year. There's definitely someone you could go after. There's someone who may be a, a big pressure producer who's going to be on a lower-cost contract. Um, there may be uh, – maybe, maybe you even make a big splash in free agency at DN. Uh, but you're not going to make that splash at left tackle because left or, or D, I mean, you could make that big splash at D tackle as well, depending on what, whatever, you know, whatever they think is the bigger need. Um, but in terms of left tackle, there's not, I looked at the free agency. There's not really anyone there. So that's where you're going to have to use the first round pick this year. So when we, we, we look at that from that perspective um, and we say, all right, left tackle is going to be a first round pick. So now how do we solidify the receiver room? That second round pick, um, I'm down here in Austin, Texas, so I'm a bit biased. I've watched a lot of Texas games. I've seen Oklahoma twice now. Um, Marquise Brown is someone who is just a phenomenal player. But you also might need a big-bodied receiver to replace what you thought you may have had in Josh Gordon. So Colin Johnson or little Jordan Humphreys, if Humphreys comes out, or if Brown comes out as well, because Brown, I believe, is a junior. Um, so you know, there, there's, there's options, I think, in the second round. I think there will be options. But then there's also guys in free agency that you could sign for not top-of-market deals who might be able to provide you something, like a Dante Moncrief. I'm not saying that Dante Moncrief is like an answer at wide receiver, but just to create more depth in the room. Um, Devin Funches, uh, Golden Tate, he's going to be older. So, um, and you know, he, he, he's such a great yards-after-catch guy. It's a valuable guy to have on your uh, on your uh, on your team, even though he uh, he's not the big-bodied receiver you might want. Um, so he, those two positions need to be solved, but there's a path to solving them, um, and and it, it's going to be that. I, I think the best the best path is first round on left tackle. Keith Hubbard uh, Robinson will probably uh, you know he's a free agency free agent after this year, so maybe let him go and just keep Hubbard because uh, I, it is 3.2 million in dead money and 4.1 million in savings. Like, is he that bad that you uh, just want to get rid of him? I mean, he, he's not a good, he's not a good or great left uh, right tackle, but um, you know, is he serviceable? Yeah. So keep him around and, and hope that an additional piece that left tackle makes the whole line better because, you know, it operates as a unit and I, uh, honestly speaking, I, I don't know enough about offensive line play. I don't think any of us do, but uh, in terms of some of the sh strategies that a great offensive line coach can, can put in or a great offensive coordinator, um, there are things they can do to make the entire line better uh, with just a little bit more infusion of talent on the left side and that interior line um, to create more, uh, more help for that weak right tackle, right? I think with the sort of tackle position, because most of the interior is pretty much done for the Browns, is uh, 
Right. Especially with Corbett, too. Yeah, you, you've got Corbett, obviously, there as the option. I think maybe replaces Tretter a year down the line or something. Or they trade Tretter off a year earlier at centre. But with the tackles, for me, I, I want four of them on my roster anyway because there's the depth. And as well, if someone gets an injury, you could probably get a, a decent value in there. You've got Harrison, who's very much a prospect. No one knows who it's going to be. Hubbard. I think Greg Robinson stays because he's really come on sort of the last three weeks out of nowhere. And obviously, if you don't watch the Browns games religiously, then you you probably wouldn't have heard of it because they haven't made much noise about it. But he, he, he sort of developed his game. And I think you might see him flip and he might become that right tackle. But if you go out and draft a left tackle, fingers crossed, if we're sort of picking 12th, 13th, 14th, they might all be gone by then. You just never know with left tackle. Um, if you can grab that. The only one potentially might hit free agency is a middle-of-the-line left tackle, Trenton Brown, um, who's done an all-right job at the Patriots, but the yeah. Patriots always have sort of a, a weird way of scheming to sort of cover player deficiency. It's, it's Dante, it's Dante Scarnecchia. Yeah. I mean, it's just, they, they, you look at caponomics and the numbers in the back, and uh, you find that the Patriots, like, don't have to spend, they, and especially in the early 2000s, they didn't spend money on the offensive line, and they still had good offensive lines. And I, and I agree with your point on Robinson. I have heard a lot about how good he's looked over the last few weeks. Um, does that sustain? I don't know. Do you want to sign him to maybe an extension right now? I mean, does he is he not confident enough in his market that you could sign him to an extension in the – I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, what would you look at for the mid-tier? There's not – let me see. Left tackle over the cap. I mean, yeah, if, if could you, you sign him for $8 million? A year? I don't. I don't know oh, about that. Probably you, not. You'll get him for less than that. I. I. I think less. That, I think you'll get him for a lot less than that. I think. Yeah, he's, Alejandro Villanueva is six million a year. So yeah, I mean, maybe you get him in that area. Yeah, you'll probably get him on a similar deal, probably to what Hubbard got. Um, because teams, other teams, probably don't want to take a big punt on him because you just don't know. And you literally just say you draft a left tackle in the first round. You have Robinson, Hubbard, and Harrison. And you literally just go, right, pre-season, it's, it's open fun. We're not going to say anyone's 100% the left tackle, the right tackle. It's between the four of you. Go out and prove yourself. And you can literally just allow the best people to play. Um, and, yeah, the great thing about having a bit of salary cap is you can have an open season like that. And whichever one misses out from Robinson or Hubbard, you can just move them on after the season's finished. And it's no Agree. real if you've nailed your left and right tackle on relatively cheap deals. Agree. I, 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 I agree with that perspective um, on Robinson as well. You can probably craft a contract that if he, if he starts to not play well again, you can get out of it fairly uh, easily. Um, and I agree with the four left tackles on the roster because left tackle is the most important position on the line. And usually a left tackle, if you need him to, can probably slide inside as well, right? So, um, you know, it's probably the best way to solidify your line is, is make sure you're steady there. And like you said, first-round pick, might not pan out in year one. We want to make sure Baker Mayfield as protected as possible. And um, if we're going to spend, we, we have all that cap space to spend. Let's spend it on Robinson. That's fine. That's fine with me. And and I, I heard something that he hasn't allowed like a pressure in like the last three or four weeks, or or that may have been before the last game. But he he has really come on. And it was uh, it was it was an article I saw pop up from uh, Pro Football Focus. So I, I agree with you there, hundred percent. So. The question we always sort of wrap up near the end is a, a very, very, very hot take for the Browns this off season. All right. 
I talked to you about this before, but I'm gonna make it even hotter. Uh, <laughs> just to be ridiculous. Uh, the Browns. All right, wait. All right, so here's what I wrote down. They're going to sign one big-time expensive free agent with the contract heavily front-loaded uh, with this cap space, like Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe it's a DN. Maybe it's a, a receiver. I, uh, I don't have the receiver market in front of me. Maybe Trey Flowers, New England. The third yeah, I mean, uh, edge defender, according to PFF at the minute. They might not be able and, to afford him. And, and he's probably not going to be someone who's like a $17 million a year guy. Right, I mean, or the market has now changed because of the Khalil Mack deal. So maybe he is a seventeen million dollar a year guy, but unlike Demarcus Lawrence, he's not going to be a twenty million dollar a year guy, right? So maybe you go do that. Maybe you uh, get a free uh, wide receiver, um, and you give them a deal with front loaded money that no one else will be able to match um, in terms of the the because because everyone wants their money in the first three years because after that you're if there's a lot of money at the end of the contract you might get cut because they're just going to decide you're not worth it. Um, uh, one second. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, and you can also have the contract as a, a three, four year out when Baker's about to become expensive, so you can get rid of the guy who's now aging. But uh, my big, big, super hot take is that the Browns will be in a Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl by 2020. I mean, it's just, it's it, you know, you ask for a very, very hot take. Yeah. I'm giving uh-huh. you a super hot take. And uh, the guy from Sports Illustrated said the, the Astros would win in 2017. So I'll say the Browns are going to win in 2020. Um, and it's just there's, there's so much potential in terms of what they're going to be able to build, what they've done. You know, Sashi didn't do a good job drafting, but everyone in Cleveland has to give uh, owes him a debt of gratitude in terms of uh, what he's left behind in terms of just what's possible. He mitigated risk at such a high level in terms of um, just, just, just sort of not, not just not chasing, you know, a crappy record and just being patient. And unfortunately for him and you, uh, they aren't going to be able to see it through, but um, you know, if there's, who are the grumblings about right now for who might be the head coach? Did I hear Josh McDaniels? Um, Mike, um, Mike McCarthy seems to be the favorite so far. Um, I don't know. You've got the small noise of McDaniels, but I haven't heard that too much. Um, people want Lincoln Riley. I don't think it's going to be. Matt Campbell sort of seems to be the second choice at the minute, and the third choice is Bruce Arians. So I think between McCarthy, Campbell, and Arians, um, we had Ben Albright on, who, if anyone's going to know, he, he's probably up there with the top people in the world that are going to know. So they're yeah. the three names he said with Dan, uh, Mike McCarthy is a certain favourite. Yeah, and I appreciate you having me on during a week of so many great people, uh, from Albright to uh, e- Eager to Silva to uh, tomorrow you have Cole. So just to be a part of that group is awesome. I'm fans of all of them, so I really appreciate uh, you putting me in, in that group of people. <laughs> Hi, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, thank you so much for making the time. Plug your stuff. Where can people find you? What are you doing next? Um, you can follow me at Zach Moore NFL. Um, hopefully, you'll be able to buy another book in the near future. Uh, if someone gives me that cheddar up front, I would, you know, I'll, I'll write, I'll write anything. Um, so, but then this weekend, actually, at my jujitsu school, Tenth uh, Planet Austin, uh, we have two live events that I'm excited to be uh, covering. Uh, we have the Onnit Invitational Ten, which is streaming live at onnit.com/live. And then Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and the the, the on invitational 6 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, 
Uh, on Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, we're holding our sensei, our master, Eddie Bravo's EBI 18 on UFC Fight Pass. Um, both of those things you can watch at a later date. It, uh, the uh, the UFC, the at EBI is also on inchbyinch.tv, I believe. Um, I'm going to be covering those uh, on Instagram with our with our Instagram accounts at on invitational at EBI official. I'll be covering it for various jujitsu outlets. It's my first time covering jujitsu. I'm very excited. Um, I, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of potential crossover between jujitsu and MMA fans and football. So if you're ever interested in that, this is a great weekend to watch it. We're going to have some of the best martial artists in the world, uh, some of the best Tenth Planet guys, and I also uh, must say this: Eddie Bravo is a Cleveland Browns fan. So uh, I felt uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that as well. Uh, you know his show, and and I'm just excited uh, with everything that's going on. And uh, you know, podcasts like this, it's just it's a real honor to be a part of. So thank you very much for having me. No, it's, it's been a pleasure, guys. If you ever need anything cap-wise, just jump onto Over the Cap. They've got everything from free agents to every team to um, the cap commitments to what your uh, free agent salary cap space is, what players in the draft are going to be. If, if you can think about it cap-wise, it's on there somewhere. So go and find it. And uh, it's really important to remember, guys, cap Cap-wise, and it's something I learned when I was reading Caponomics, it's best to look at the percentages across a contract and the percentage year to year when someone goes, oh, a player costs 10 million, and then you're looking at them, oh, they cost 20 million. Well, that 10 million might have been more expensive than the 20 million they got in different years of their contracts because a Tom Brady earning 10 million a few years ago um, when he was younger, the amount of the salary cap's gone up that 10 million could easily be 25 million now. So yes, make sir. sure you look at them um, percentage numbers. Go and get over the cap. Um, it's available Kindle. Um, oh, Caponomics, Caponomics. Uh, Caponomics, building Super Bowl champion. You said over the cap. Caponomics, oh. building Super Bowl champion. No, you're good. You're good. I was just making <laughs> sure we got. <laughs> it's on Amazon, uh, Kindle. It's on, uh, you can you can buy it, uh, the, the, um, the physical copy and everything. So, um, yes. Yeah. Awesome book, guys, um, and maybe one to just stash because I read it uh, during the off season, um, which is the perfect time when nothing's going on. So uh, it was great to just be able to pick it up and read when uh, football calms down. But no, thank you so much for coming on. Keep up the great work, and uh, well, have a good tournament this weekend. Thank you very much, and uh, everyone always feel free to ask me a question on Twitter, Zach Moore NFL. So I appreciate uh, anyone who reaches out. Thank you very much. There's change coming. There's change coming.